this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. Do you guys know what a, a mulligan is? It's a golf term and that means basically a redo. You take a shot, it's a bad shot. You take a mulligan, you redo it. I'm not a golfer. I don't know how common it is for people to to take a mulligan, but I love that term. Because sometimes you do something and you just have to redo it. And it sucks sometimes. You feel crappy about having to redo something because of time. But when it comes to making things and putting things out, it's something you have to accept. That sometimes the first attempt just isn't good enough. Or even not that it's not good enough, it's just the wrong thing. I haven't talked about this much, but I'm a vibe person. (laughs) Essentially what I mean by that is I go on gut a lot. I use my intelligence as well, but when it comes to certain decisions, I rely heavily on my gut. For example, most of my life, as long as I can remember, whenever someone would invite me to something, I would always accept or decline based on whether I could imagine myself at the event that I'm invited to. I would go on that gut impulse. I don't know if that's right or wrong. (laughs) It's probably made me a pretty frustrating person to be friends with at times, but it's just the way I've always done things. So because of that same gut, I recorded an episode last night and it wasn't, it was, I don't haven't even listened to it. It wasn't a bad episode as far as I remember during recording it, but it just, it didn't sit right all day. And anytime like I record something and I get that feeling between the time that I record it and the time that I sit down to edit, I have to, I feel like I have to. I have to trust that. I have to I have to trust that I was off base, that I was in the wrong mode. You know, sometimes uh, when you do something like this in front of a microphone, you're talking without a script, your brain can be in the wrong gear. And while you might be saying words that function, you're just not putting out what you want to be putting out. So without even listening to it again, or at all, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to record a new episode. I feel like I'm in the right place today that I wasn't last night. There was something 
in my brain that was just disrupted. There was these problems with connecting ideas and thoughts. So that doesn't make for a good episode, I don't think. You know, maybe the episode was fine. Who knows? Maybe, I don't know if this is connected or not, but today I sat down to kind of tweak the description of the show a little bit. Because now that I've accepted this relationship-based creator thing, and I've started creating from that place, I'm starting to understand kind of what that means more. And the description that I wrote before was just kind of like a, I don't know what this show is, so you don't know what you're about to get. Be prepared to be surprised. That was kind of the, the type of description I had written. And now that I understand the show a little bit more, I thought I could describe it a little bit better. It's not drastically different from what I had before. The two words that popped up in my head that I think have come up in pretty much anything I've ever recorded, but have really been coming up in the most recent episodes since I returned from the hiatus, are creativity and anxiety. So those obviously made it into the description. And I know I probably overuse the word revelation, but just like Mulligan, revelation is another word that I really like. Because when I think of revelation, I don't think of it in the grandiose term. I think about it in the most simple term, something being revealed. I think, honestly, often in my head, I imagine a sheet being pulled off of something. And I have a lot of those, a lot of those moments where something small pulls back the curtain a little bit and I can see what's under it. And I understand this thing that was underneath the curtain so much better. Not fully, you know, it's just a reveal. It's just a peek. That's another thing that's great about the word. It it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole thing is revealed. You could be just lifting the skirt to reveal an ankle, but not the rest of the leg. So you might just be getting revelation of a small piece of something grander. Just connecting to those words, creativity and anxiety, and realizing like, Those are topics that people are going to hear come up if they listen to this podcast. And having that connect to the relationship-based creation made me really, maybe not in in a way that I can articulate, but it made me really have a clearer grasp on exactly what this is, exactly what I'm doing, and what it means to be a relationship-based creator. Because it's really easy, and I think to some degree, maybe this is what I was doing last night, and maybe that's why I've had this kind of sour taste in my mouth about the episode all day. It's really easy when you are not used to the idea of relationship-based creating to start to slip back into idea-based creating. And actually, I shouldn't say I wonder if that's why I know that's what I was doing last night. Because even though I didn't go into the episode with pages and pages of notes like a script or anything, I did have uh, one, two, three sides of two index cards. You know, there'd be four sides. I only filled three of them with notes. And that's a lot of notes for something that's supposed to be off the cuff, at least the way that I want to do it, the way that I, the vibe that I'm trying to put across. That's That's a little too much. That's a little too many notes. So... I think the best way I can say this is I I want this to be intimate in the sense that it doesn't feel pre-prepared. 
in the sense that you hear what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing as I go through the process of dealing with being a creative person and being someone who deals with anxiety and any other thing that kind of attaches on to those things. But those two things really ground the journey that maybe, can I dare I say the word documenting here? And this brings up an interesting point. What you feel that you're doing or what you feel that you want to be doing doesn't need to be easily articulated to someone else. It doesn't need to be something that makes sense to someone else when you explain it. Because the thing about the role of creator, there's always part of that job description that is being visionary. And that's another word that can be taken to be something grander. But all I mean by being a visionary is that you have a vision of something. You see something that is not in the world yet. And because it doesn't exist in the world yet, then when you explain it to someone, it might not make sense because it doesn't exist yet. It only might make sense to those people once it exists, once they can see it, once they can hear it, once they can feel it. So you can't make judgments on the validity of the choices you make based on whether it makes sense to other people. A great example of something that's not exactly the same thing, but something that's very similar. I'm not sure who said this because it's been a while since I read it, but it was somebody writing about Jack Kerouac. And Jack Kerouac's novel On the Road and his subsequent novels all used a type of writing that he created based off of what he heard in jazz. He was trying to do a literary equivalent of jazz. He was trying to do the literary equivalent of what he heard people like John Coltrane doing on the saxophone. These flourishes, going out, going out, think of it like a daisy, going out on it, and then return. And they would return back to a theme, and then they would go off and then return to the theme. And he would do the same thing with his writing. And most people, I might even be brave enough to say no one, had ever seen anything written like that before. So the immediate reaction to Jack Kerouac's writing was, this is garbage. And it was, this is garbage, because when you confront something new, it makes you feel uncomfortable. When you read something that's written in a way that you've never read anything else written, sometimes it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel uncomfortable because you are not accustomed to it, so you don't know how to deal with it. And that's what happened with Jack Kerouac's writing. But then over time, it gets recognized for what it is, innovation. And I don't mean just Jack Kerouac's writing. I mean, anything that's done that's new will get recognized over time if it persists, if people continue to read it or to watch it or to buy it. It will get recognized for its innovation, the way it pushed the boundaries of something. Like Kerouac pushed the boundaries of writing. It pushed into a new area. It pushed the frontier further. So you have to get used to the idea that what you're doing is not something maybe that you can articulate to people. And you have to be okay with that because that's where the faith in that vision comes from. I could tell you again how the words creativity and anxiety anchored the idea of what this show is in a way that I didn't fully have before. 
And you hear that and it sounds so small and it doesn't make sense to you because you are not in my head. You haven't had the puzzle pieces that didn't fit together yet. And you didn't experience the moment of the two of them going together. And I can use that inability to make you feel that moment as an obstacle. What am I doing? Like, really? Relationship-based creating and that with the word creativity and anxiety and that's a revelation? Yeah, it is. But if I put myself in the mindset of the most critical of listeners, then what I could do is put myself into a place where I won't even say what's going to come out of my mouth. I'll restrict that. And I think that's that's what I'm touching on when I talk about the idea of the intimacy. Because intimacy isn't just like lean in closer to the microphone because I'm talking softer. And intimacy isn't just romantic or intimacy isn't just the closeness of a relationship. Intimacy is a vulnerability. Intimacy is exposing ideas in the moment, in the case of, of this show. I feel like the the intimacy goes in hand, hand in hand in a way with risk. Not only the risk that <laughs> I'll ramble or I won't find something to talk about, but the risk that what I'm saying won't come across because it hasn't been pre-planned, that I might not be articulating it in the best way. But I think that's what makes this interesting for me. And that's what I didn't like about recording yesterday. Even though I talked about things that I wanted to talk about, the fact that I had it pre-planned and I ordered them, it broke that feeling for me. It broke the spell. And I have to live in the bubble of that magic for this to work for me. And I think, if I'm correct, if you're sticking around and if you're listening to these then part of the reason you're doing that is because you like being in that bubble of magic too. So if I lose touch with that little bubble, you're going to lose touch with the show as well. And that's kind of neat. That's something that I hadn't realized about relationship-based creating, is that it's different. It's a different dynamic than idea-based creating. Idea-based creating is, it's closer to being in a classroom. I'm presenting something to you and you are receiving. But relationship-based creating is kind of, I don't want to say that it is a relationship, even though that word is in there, because it insinuates a lot more interplay than you and I are getting. You know, you are still sitting there. You are still listening to me. I'm not hearing you. So there's not, there's not an even ground in that dynamic. But I think the even ground of the dynamic that makes it a quote-unquote relationship is that we both need to be in the same place for this to work. We both need to exist in that bubble of whatever it is that that makes me create the episodes that I feel or the episodes I want to make are also the ones that make you come back and listen to those, that we're both living in that vision of what's being made. And that's really interesting because I think it, at least for me, it propels me to, I don't want to say propels necessarily, it forces me, no, that's a wrong way to say it too. 
I want to lean more into that gut, into that trust. And coming to terms with this makes me want to do that more. I guess I have to say it backwards <laughs> to say it correctly. And the example of that bubble, that the example of what I want this to be is in the last minute to 30 seconds where my words aren't necessarily coming in the way that I want them to, that I can't find the right words, that I have to struggle with what I'm saying because I haven't articulated it before. And sometimes I haven't even thought it before. Sometimes the thought is happening in the moment. So what I found in the time that we've been talking about this and looking at these index cards with these notes, even though these were things that I wanted to talk about, things that I wanted to share with you, is that by putting them down like this and having so many of them and ordering them, I mean, even like the notes aren't even just on the topic. Sometimes there's like a little note on like the commentary that I wanted to give on a topic. That's idea-based creating. It's idea-based creating in the disguise of relationship-based creating. I, I, I guess I don't know if I was doing this consciously. I don't think I was. It's the idea of trying to look like you're just having a casual conversation, but it's really scripted to some degree. It reminds me of something that Emma Chamberlain talked about in one of her vlogs. She talked about, I don't remember the exact term. I think it's casual posting. She's talking about Instagram. Casual posters, casual posters. I'm pretty sure that's the term. I had never heard the term before, which makes sense. You know, she's 20 and I am 43. <laughs> the chances of us sharing a lot of vocabulary are very slim. But what she meant by that term is just what to me is just Instagram. And that's just taking random photos and posting them, not pre-planning a strategy. I guess it's more common now for people to approach Instagram with a strategy. I'm going to, okay, I'm, I need this angle and I want this lighting. And like, but she was talking about how she tries to make it look like she's casual posting, but everything she posts on Instagram is extremely planned out. And it feels disingenuous. If you are a planned out poster or if you are a scripted podcaster, be that, own it, live it. But if you are casual poster, be a casual poster. Both are okay. It's the faking that's the weird part. And I don't want this ever to be fake. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the stuff that I brought up in the episode that I'm not publishing, because I do want to share those things with you. I said I'm going to tell you a little bit about them, because I'm not going to go into the amount of detail that I went into the other one, because we've been talking about this for 20 minutes. But this is the show. This is the reason I turn on the microphone. This is the reason that you listen to me talk into a microphone. So we're going to do a little bit of a Chad's sleep problems update. So I told you guys last week that I was ordering the wedge pillow. I think I recorded on Saturday and the wedge pillow came on Sunday. The first few nights with it were okay. It's it's weird 
it takes a lot of getting used to. The, the two main things that I think take getting used to are actually a horizontal problem and a vertical problem. <laughs> the horizontal problem is the wedge pillow is, it's about as wide as my shoulders. So because of that, you, you really only have the option of sleeping kind of in the middle of it. And then it presents the problem of what do you do with your arms? For a good percentage of my life, I've been a person who always has like one arm under the pillow. Can't do that with this wedge. So I had to negotiate and figure out, okay, where do my shoulders go when I'm sleeping on this thing? Do I sleep on my side? Do I sleep on my back? And if I do, where do these go? And the vertical problem was how far up on this thing do I sleep? Because as I said, it's a wedge or a ramp shape. If you sleep all the way at the bottom of it, it's like not sleeping on a wedge pillow. So you don't want to be there. And if you sleep all the way at the top, it's kind of like sleeping in an upright hospital bed, which is not as comfortable as a hospital bed because it's it doesn't have the width and the support that a hospital bed does. So the ideal or the idea is to get somewhere in the middle between the two. And that's the hard part to find out exactly how far up or down is the right place for you to sleep. So I think the first like three or four nights was negotiating that problem. And because of that, I didn't, my sleep, my sleep patterns didn't change at all. It was still waking up every hour. And then in the middle of the week, I decided to order some tea. I ordered from this company called Buddha Tea. I kind of stumbled across these guys on accident. I went to a local grocery store a couple years ago, and I just happened to be looking at the tea section, and I saw a CBD green tea, and I was like, whoa, I want that. It was like $20, but CBD is expensive, so it's not surprising. And it was great, and I always remembered Buddha tea, and then I don't remember if it was like right after I ran out of that or sometime later, I went on their website to order more because it wasn't in the store anymore, and it wasn't on their website. So this was this was before like CBD was 100% federally legalized. So I think maybe in that transition period, they discontinued the product because of that. But I remembered Buddha Tea, because when I was looking for that on their website, I saw that they had a ton of different teas. And as I was researching this problem with the ectopic beats, the skipping sensation in the heart. I ran across like some herbal supplements that some people said had helped them with similar problems. So I was considering getting some of those. But the problem for for those of you who haven't suffered with anxiety or with uh, hypochondria, which when I had my initial bout of anxiety couple years ago, a lot of that was hypochondria. And that manifests, I think, for anybody with anxiety, it manifests to some degree, but not super strong this time through for me. But I know what it's like to take something new into your body when you have anxiety. And I know especially what it's like if you are a hypochondriac. So essentially, when you take in a new substance of some sort, supplement, even if it's something that's like a chamomile that's meant to calm you. If your body is not used to it, 
sometimes your body can react with discomfort. It can, like, uh, for example, the, what tea was that? I can't remember what tea it was. There was one tea that I bought that had an ingredient in it that the first two or three times I took it, it gave me a sour stomach. Like I got uh, not really stomach pain, but just like nauseous stomach. But then after like three days of it, it went away. My body got used to it. Another way your body can react is to react with anxiety. That you take it and it goes, oh my God, what is this? And then it puts you into a near panic attack or into a full panic attack. Hypochondria, you're taking something new into your body. You're overthinking about your body. And because your body is reacting to something new, it's your body's doing something that's not in the normal parameter of what you consider normal for your body. So you automatically, your mind thinks that something's wrong. Oh, I'm allergic to this. Oh, this is poison. So you have to be very careful if you have anxiety. By the way, I'm not an expert. This is just my personal experience. I don't know if I say that enough. You have to be careful, though, from what I've learned with taking supplements. And I think that that is not a bad thing to say as a non-expert. Anytime you take a supplement before you even consider it, you should ask your doctor. Two reasons you want to ask your doctor. Number one, is there any side effects for someone with any of my health conditions? Because your doctor knows all of your health conditions, theoretically. And is it going to interact with any medicine that you're taking? Those are two very important questions. Because sometimes you know, like these supplements might not have a, a negative reaction in the sense that you're going to have a heart attack or something because of the way it interacts with your medicine. But it can sometimes lessen the effect of medication that you're taking. So you have to be careful. You know, like people who take blood thinners shouldn't drink turmeric or eat things with turmeric because turmeric is also a blood thinner. So your, your blood will get too thin. These are the type of things. There's a reason you should ask a doctor. But knowing all of that and wanting to take supplements because I wanted to take some of the edge off this anxiety, it hit me that I should just get tea instead. And the first thing I thought of was Buddha tea because Two of the supplements that I was looking at getting, St. John's Wort and Passionflower, were teas that I knew that Buddha Tea offered. And I'll, I'll explain why I wanted those two in a second. But first, I want to tell you why I chose to get tea. The reason I chose to get tea is because when you take a pill, you have chosen a dosage. You've chosen a dosage and you're taking it all at once. So that possibility of your body reacting weird to it is greater because you don't know how your body's going to react. You're just making an assumption that this is the right dosage for you to feel comfortable. It's obviously been determined if it's a, an approved supplement. It's been determined to be a safe dosage, but your body might still freak out. But with tea, you can do something really cool. You can sip it. So you get the tea. And you take a couple sips, and you wait a couple minutes, cool. Take a couple more, cool. That first day, you just really stretch out that first tea. And you just monitor yourself, and you go, okay, I felt okay. So the next day, you drink it a little bit faster. And then the next day, you can probably just at that point just be drinking it normal. Because you noticed, okay, my body is okay with this much 
and you can control that more. So if the first time you do it, you get uncomfortable through half the cup of tea, you can stop. You don't have to drink the rest of the tea. You can stop. Whereas if you had taken the supplement pill, you can't not take the other half of the pill. It's already in your tummy. So tea is a really good start to try supplements, in my opinion. The reason I wanted St. John's wort, St. John's wort is, for the most part, the number one. There's three things, from what I could read, three things that people take it for. The number one reason is depression. It does bear clarification, though, that St. John's wort has been proven to help minor depression, not clinical depression. Clinical depression is actually a completely different problem. The other two things that it's helpful for, a little bit for anxiety. This is still not fully, there's not a ton of research done into it, so it's just hints at that being true. But considering that anxiety and depression are twins, like they kind of go hand in hand, they it makes sense that if it helps depression, that it would help anxiety at least a little bit. Third thing that I didn't even know at the time that I learned after I bought it is that uh, St. John's Ward is also helpful for sleep problems. Sweet. And all the things I said about St. John's Wart being helpful, this isn't just like holistic websites and stuff like that. St. John's Wart has been used for centuries for those exact problems, and it's actually been studied by the medical profession. And if you actually, if you go to the Mayo Clinic website, one of the most reputable medical associations in the world, go to their website and type in St. John's Wart, it will say that it's been shown to help some people with minor depression. The second thing, passion flower. This one doesn't have the same bona fides, doesn't have the same <laughs> backing evidence, but passion flower is kind of like a chamomile in the sense that it has a, uh, a depressive effect on the body. I don't mean emotional depression. I mean, like, it makes you sleepy. Sedative effect. It's a better way to say it. So this is good for nervousness and anxiety, right? Because you want to calm, you want to soothe. So even though I take chamomile, I thought I'd give passion flower a shot too. So that's what another thing I was going to get. And I talked to a friend who had gone through a similar thing as me, who might be listening right now. Hi, John. And he said that when he went through the thing that I've been going through, or the similar thing, that ashwagandha was helpful to him. Ashwagandha is in... I don't know if it's a root or a flower. I believe it's from India. And I've heard of it before. I've actually had it before. I had a tea that had like 15 different ingredients, and ashwagandha was one of the ingredients. So I decided I'll add that to the list. I ordered those three teas. They came in. I told you I, I'm very careful ingesting new things in my body, bringing even new supplements into my body. So I didn't take, I only took one tea to start with. And that was ashwagandha. I started with ashwagandha because I've had it before. So I knew I didn't have, for the smaller dosage that I had in that mixed tea, I didn't have any reactions. So I drank just the ashwagandha for the first three days. And then I started with St. John's Wort. I'm actually, today is my last day of just the two. Tomorrow I'm going to try passionflower for the first time. So what I think is the wedge pillow and the teas together with the other stuff that I was doing, which I should probably tell you, I've been drinking chamomile for years, 
chamomile lavender tea before bed for years. I've also, in the last couple months, been taking a chamomile pill during the day that has cinnamon in it and uh, turmeric just to help with blood pressure because being sleep deprived and having anxiety increases your blood pressure higher, but they won't up your medicine because you're not actually having, you know, it's a, it's a physiological response. It's, it's mental. So when your mental problem goes away, when you get your sleep and your anxiety goes down, your blood pressure is going to drop. And if they've up your medication, then you're going to have low blood pressure. So they don't want to do that. So I was adding herbal things to help ease some of that blood pressure. And then what else was I doing? Oh, I was taking uh, zinc right before bed. I was taking zinc. Zinc's known to help you sleep. And I've also been instituting a blackout hour before bed, which means other than the television, no screens for at least an hour before bed. And the reason I did that is not because everybody says to do that, but because I noticed the, like four or five nights ago, I was doing stuff on my phone up until literally the time that it was time for me to go to bed, the time that I normally go to bed. And I put my phone down and I laid down and I could not turn my brain off. And I had been taking chamomile, all of these things, like I should have been tired, zinc, and I, I literally couldn't turn my, my brain off. I couldn't go to sleep. And I'm sleep deprived. I should be tired on top of that, right? It took me two hours to fall asleep. So that may not be a physiological response to the phone. That might just be like me thinking too much. Just kind of, kind of a theme here. And when you're talking about anxiety, thinking too much is kind of the problem. So those things, those T's, well, two of those three T's, the zinc, the putting the phone down, the chamomile, and the wedge pillow means that two nights ago, I went to bed. I woke up after an hour. Normal. Went back to sleep. Woke up 45 minutes later. Kind of normal. Went back to sleep. Woke up a half hour later. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a night. I went back to bed after going to the bathroom. I fell asleep and I woke up. And I woke up later and I felt I guess weird, weird because it was a feeling I hadn't had for a while. It took me a minute to like kind of register, like, how am I feeling right now? Oh, my heart's not racing. That's good. I feel like, I feel like I was in a deep sleep. And that was the weird feeling is I didn't remember what it was like to be in a deep sleep. Turns out I had been asleep for four hours. The last time we talked, I said, my goal, my first goal, milestone goal is to go four hours. I did it. I went four hours. I went back to sleep, and then I got up two and a half, uh, two and a half or two hours and 45 minutes later. So I got pretty good sleep that night. Last night, a little bit more bumpy, but still better. I was still over two hours twice. So I think we're making progress here. And I think those things are helping, but it's also the way that I'm dealing with things and what I'm doing with my with my brain, because the anxiety still, even though I think the initial incident or the the catalyst for this bout of anxiety that I've been dealing with has been the sleep deprivation, once the anxiety turns on, it's like a switch. You know, like even though you might take away 
the underlying cause, the switch is still on. And that's that's the hard thing about anxiety because anxiety is, it's triggered. And then once it's triggered, you slip into anxiety mode. And then it doesn't matter what's going on because you're in anxiety mode. Could be an easy, relaxing day and you're feeling anxious because you're in anxiety mode. You no longer need something to cause the anxiety because you've entered into that mindset. And you have to find a way to slowly walk yourself out of the mindset to work through it. So that's that's been helping. In, and honestly, what I need to do, and I don't know why I haven't been, and I think to, to stop fighting it and to stop avoiding it, when I'm done recording this, I'm going to pull out my journal and write in my journal. Because journaling helps anxiety a lot for me. Something about expressing myself on paper, even if it's just garbage thoughts. I just said the thing about the anxiety mode. It takes my brain out of anxiety mode into a different mode. It doesn't. It's not a miracle cure in the sense of like, well, I wrote in my journal, now I'm out of that anxiety mode. No, I'll slip back into it. But the more I can journal and at least temporarily step out of that anxiety mode for a few minutes every day, I'm getting more and more accustomed of moving across that barrier. And it becomes easier to get out of that anxiety mode. And it becomes easier the more that you're out of it to figure out how to stay out of it. And that's the trick. That's really the trick. This is not a professional opinion. None of these are professional opinions. But I'm going to say something a little controversial. I think that the secret to anxiety is tricking yourself. It's tricking yourself into not being in anxiety mode. It's tricking yourself to get out of that gear. And that's hard. And that's why I think things like positive thinking and all of these all these ideas that get ridiculed a lot, I think that's why they can be helpful. Because pretty much when you are in that mode and it's such a dark place to be, anything that will get you over there, you will take why I think some people, you know, like they smoke a ton of weed to deal with anxiety. It's like, this works. You might, you know, it might not be what the doctor says to do, but it works. And you'll take anything because being there sucks. It sucks so bad. So that's, that's kind of, I, I know I need to face that journaling thing and do it. And, and I've been avoiding it because it's difficult. You know, I do two types of journaling. I journal on the computer and I journal when I do it, I journal in the book, and they're different. Journaling on the computer is so much of just like facts and thoughts and book notes and stuff like that. But when I go to the paper journal, it's all about how I'm feeling. And that's what I need. I need a little bit of that. The other thing that I need, which actually this is a benefit of me re-recording this episode because I didn't know this yesterday. I knew that I needed this, but I didn't know whether it would help at all. So I talked about that hour of not using my phone before bed. And there's something that I used to do. That's not even the best way to say it. I did it like three times. There's something I did like three times in the past for different reasons. I don't think it, I'm pretty sure it didn't have to do with anxiety then. I don't, I'm not sure why I did it then. Probably because I had read a book about technology and how it affects the brain and stuff like that. But I did, I invented this thing called No Tech Fridays. Friday 
is completely random. This has nothing to do with the exact day of the week. It's just the day that I chose then. The first time I did it, it was literally no devices at all for 20, well, not 24 hours, from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. So 14, 16 hours, one day. And I mean, no devices. Obviously, we're not going to include refrigerators and microwaves in devices. It wasn't, I wasn't Amish. Actually, the Amish use microwaves. That's a, that's not a good thing to say. I wasn't a caveman. The Amish use technology. They're just careful about the technology they use. I know that. I don't know why I said that. So I used devices like that, but I didn't use phones, iPads, computer, television, radio, record player. Nothing that's other than paper books this first time, nothing but paper books. And like I could play my guitar, no amp, but I could play my guitar. And I did that. And that was really interesting because it's just a lot about confronting boredom. And you do interesting things when you confront that boredom. You do things that you wouldn't normally do. You, uh, I'll give you one example. I don't want to harp on this too long, but there, when I was growing up, there was this company called TSR. TSR made all the stuff. They may still make all of the books and stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, all the game books. I wasn't allowed to have Dungeons and Dragons because I grew up in, in the era of the Satanic Panic and everybody thought Dungeons and Dragons was evil. So I didn't get that stuff. But TSR also made those same books with Marvel comic characters. So it was like the same thing, except inside where instead of, you know, wizards and rogues and paladins, instead it was the X-Men, the Avengers. So I would buy those books and I wasn't playing these tabletop games because I was an only child and uh, I didn't have anybody to play with. So you can't play those kind of games. You need at least, you know, like two people <laughs> to be going on the adventure together. And you, I think pretty sure you need at least a dungeon master. So I think you need at minimum three people. But I think even three people is probably not too fun. I don't know, because obviously I never got the chance to play with anybody else. So why am I telling you about this, right? I told you I didn't want to harp on it too long, but I love talking about it. I never get to talk about it. Because that day that I didn't use devices, I busted open this cabinet that I have. And in this cabinet, I have all of my old comic books from when I was a kid. And I don't go in there very often because the comic books are kind of fragile. I don't like to mess with them too much. I didn't take great care of my comic books when I was a kid. But in there with those is a couple of those TSR books. And I busted those out and I started to kind of, I didn't like sit and create characters but I started to like go through the books and absorb the information like I did then. And if it hadn't been for me not putting myself in the situation where I couldn't use a device for a day, I don't know that I ever would have took that book back out and did that. So it can put you, that boredom can put you in a very good place. The next time that I did it, the next two times I did it, I allowed myself to watch TV later in the night. The reason I did that is I found that 14 to 16 hours was a little too intense. It was a little too, it was a little bit deeper of a dive than I wanted to go on. Like I needed to at least unwind at the end of the night and watch a couple hours of TV. So I've been thinking like, maybe I should do that again because I'm feeling this, this ectopic beat thing in some way is also connected to 
I don't want to say it's connected to my devices in the sense that it's coming from the device, that the device is causing it. But the the thought process and the way that I that I'm reacting to the devices is the problem, is one of the main problems, I should say. And that's where I would have left off yesterday. But today I had not fully a device-free day, but I had a device-free day light. I went outside at about, I want to say it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. Like I'd had a normal morning. I'd been on the computer like a few times, did a few things on my phone, nothing too intense. And I went outside and I had this lounge chair and I took my Kindle, my paper white, took that outside and I sat outside for like five hours just reading and not reading in the sense of just like buried in a book for five hours. This the I should I should also clarify I've been doing this every day. This going outside with the Kindle and and in the evening I've been doing this for an hour for the past like week. This is one of the reasons I wanted to do it more today is because when I would come back from that hour, I didn't feel that thing in my chest. So I knew that in some way it's connected to this mental process and me with the devices. So what I do is I read the way that I used to read with paper books. I think the way that maybe we're supposed to read is you read a little bit and kind of absorb, you pay attention to what you're reading, then you put the book down and just kind of look up and watch a bird, watch the leaves flutter in in the breeze or stare off into space. And what you're doing is you're kind of digesting what you just read, but you're also just kind of like turning your brain into a different gear for a little bit. And that transition, like just like putting that down for a little bit and just looking around, maybe not even thinking about what I just read and then picking it up and reading a little bit more and putting it back down. Doing that is transformative in so many ways. And doing it for five hours really deserves the word transformative. Because like right now, I feel I feel like, like I don't know, I don't want to give it a number, but. I'm almost willing to say like 60% of the anxiety is suppressed. And at this time of night usually is like the worst time of night for me because you don't know this, but I'm recording this at 9, 12 in the evening. At 10.30 usually is when I take my my medicine for my blood pressure. So that from like 8, sometimes from 8 o'clock to like 10.30 can be the roughest period for me because my medicine is the weakest during that time. But I feel great right now. And it's because of that time outside, in addition with the sleep, in addition with the herbs, all of this stuff like working in conjunction. None of these things are a miracle, miracle cure. But all of them give you, a, at least they have for me, in my experience, have given me just a little edge. And if you start stacking up those edges, you end up with pretty big pieces of pie. You know, like if you if you do five things and they each give you 5%, that's 25%. That's pretty big. You know, the difference between 100% anxiety and 75% anxiety is drastic. Or if you only have 75% anxiety, dropping down to 50 is almost like not having anxiety. <laughs> so those things have been really good. But the problem that I still have to deal with is the mindset. Because avoiding devices in 2021 is not a long-term solution. I can't become a hermit. I mean, I make podcasts. This Everything that I do that matters to me requires me having a computer, 
requires me connecting to the internet, requires me pushing things out to the world. So it's not an option. And it's not just I would feel that feeling with dealing with stuff I didn't want to deal with. I'd feel that editing a podcast. I'd feel that sometimes just sitting in front of the screen recording the podcast. Just being in front, in this chair in front of the screen would put me in that place. I feel that playing games on my phone sometimes. Something that's supposed to be relaxing. So the thing that I have to confront is what is that thought process that's putting me there? And I know what it is. It's a word that I've been hesitant to use because, because I'm afraid that it will be misunderstood. And that the word is workaholic. I have to confront the fact that I am a workaholic, which is weird, right? The reason I think it's weird, the reason I'm hesitant to use that word is because when people hear that word, they think of the doctor who works 60 hours a week. They think of the lawyer who's never home. They think of the person who is always working constantly and putting in hours. They think of people that are in the eyes of the the world from a financial perspective, successful. And I did air quotes there. I know you can't see that. (laughs) I'm not that person. I'm not those people. I am not successful. In fact, many of the things, most of the things that I have done up until this point in my life have not been successful. So it feels weird to say that I'm a workaholic. It also feels weird to say I'm a workaholic because I can't think of anybody that I know that would agree with me. I think that a good percentage of the people that I know would laugh if they heard me use that word. There's a quote that I had up in the bios of my social media accounts for a while. It's a quote from Victor Hugo. And the quote is, I'm not going to remember it exactly, but essentially it's that there are visible labors and there are invisible labors. And just because you don't see someone working, let's use air quotes on working there, doesn't mean that they are not laboring. What he's talking about there is, for example, we'll use a writer since he was a writer. When you are writing, if somebody were to come into the room when you are writing, they would only define you as working if you were scribbling on a page or typing at a keyboard or a typewriter. Oh, he's writing. He's working. That's visible labor. But so little of writing is that visible labor. The majority of writing is thinking, is puzzling, is trying to arrange things in your mind, trying to solve problems, trying to figure out how you go from this scene to this scene in a way that makes sense. And that process looks like you sitting in a chair, staring off in a space. It looks like when somebody comes in the room, it looks like not working, invisible labor. So much of my life is invisible labor. So many of the things I do are things that people can't see. So most people think that I don't do much. But I literally, from the moment I wake up to the time I go to bed, Never stop. I don't have an off switch. I don't know how to take a break. I don't know how to relax. I don't know how to not do something. Whether it is 
okay, post something on Twitter. And then once I'm done with that, it's all good. By the way, you, while, you ha- while you're at it, why don't you uh, hop on a TikTok? While you're at it, why don't you post a picture on Instagram? While you're at it, why don't you go over, make sure, check on your list for the newsletter. And if you're going to check on the list by the newsletter, are you using the right app for that? Maybe you should find a different app for that. But, oh, by the way, is that the best service? Because this one over here offers 10% more. And that 10% makes a big difference. All of these little things, this is continuous for me. Non-stop. I've never told anyone this before. I'm telling you. That is my biggest problem. Not having an off switch. And what I have to confront even more than that is the reason for it. Because my life is so much of it is invisible labor. I also have invisible title. (laughs) If you're a lawyer, even if you're not lawyering, you know, you're not working on a case, researching a case, if you're just sitting and watching TV, there's still part of your brain that can go, I'm a lawyer. If you're a doctor and you're not at the hospital or you're not seeing patients and you're on vacation, there's still part of your brain that can say, but I'm a doctor. I don't have that. My identity isn't a title. Unfortunately, my identity is tied to doing things, continually doing things. Now, we could easily throw out, you know, like the title creator. But I mean, that's that's like saying human. It's such a general term. It doesn't satisfy the thing. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how to define myself without doing things. That the, the... the motion of doing that is what defines myself for me. So I, I, can, I put my phone down and I go, oh, I'm using this too much. And then I pick it up 40 seconds later, like a goldfish. And what that is, is me reaching out for identity, reaching out for a sense of self. So just like boredom is getting used to being uncomfortable because boredom is uncomfortable, I have to get used to turning off for a while and knowing that when I turn off that I might not feel that sense of who I am. It's a weird thing to say. But I mean, let's go back to where we started. That's the point of this. So I don't think I, I don't think I can go any further on that. That's, that's about as deep as we need to get. So I should probably mention before we get out of here that I just put a new video up on YouTube It's my monthly wrap-up for May. It's about a, I think it's like a 20, 25-minute video. It's a lot shorter than the last one. It's just, it's about the books that I read last month and just what I felt about them as a whole. It's what I did wrong with the first video. I got too wrapped up in talking about the content in the books, but a monthly wrap-up is really just like, here's the book I read, here's what I think about it as a whole, and by the way, here's what it's about. I think I got better at that this time. So go check it out. I'll put a link for it in the description because I like to make things easy for you guys because I love you guys. I love you for coming back every week and listening to this. And if you want to become a patron, you can always go over to patreon.com forward slash chat hall and become a patron. I think it's set at $4 right now, but you can pay whatever you want. $4 is too much for you right now because you're still recovering from COVID financial problems. Anything helps. If you can afford to do more, that's awesome. I just, I do a lot of work every week, not just on this podcast, but YouTube, 
newsletter, social media, writing. And it's it's just nice to know that people out there want to reward the work that I'm doing because it brings value to them. So if you're one of those people, go check it out. Everything else you can go to it matters, but it doesn't.com. God, I'm stumbling over my words at the end here. You can go to it matters, but it doesn't.com where all the other links are. You know, really, you really don't have to remember that link because, of course, I'm going to put that in the description of the episode too. But there's a link for all my social medias. It's a link for newsletter. So, like, there's a Patreon link there, link for YouTube. It's all there. So, go check that out. And until we until we meet again, may the rose what is it? What may the road rise up to meet you? I can't remember it. It's a great one though. Look that up. <laughs> Pretend I said it. Okay. I love you guys. Bye.